Good evening, everybody. Welcome back to Exploring the Lord of the Rings. This is session number 235, and I am delighted to be with you here this evening. Um, uh, it has been several weeks since we've been able to be together. This has been a, a crazy summer of travel, um, which is still not done being a crazy summer of travel, actually. In fact, I'm going to not be here again next week um, for a fun reason. I can't pretend I'm sorry. I'll be sorry to be where I am next week. Uh, I will be sorry not to be uh, with you guys, but um, but I won't be sorry to be where I am because where I will be next week at this time, actually, will be in New York City for the, um, uh, the preview event uh, of the first two episodes of The Rings of Power. Uh, so I'll be at Lincoln Center um, watching the first two episodes get screened. Um, uh, so, uh, that'll be fun. Um, I won't be able to, uh, I'm, I'm not going to be allowed to talk about it for a little while. Uh, but anyway, I will get to be there, uh, next week, um, with a bunch of people. This is not a private screening, uh, for a small group of people. This is going to be a large screening for, uh, hundreds of people. Um, so that'll be, uh, that should be, that should be a, a fun event. Uh, many people I'm looking forward to, uh, uh, to seeing uh, there next week, um, and then of course we get uh, we begin to get into the excitement of uh, we get towards anyway the excitement of the release of the actual show. Today is the day that the official announcement of the um, uh, the episodes uh, dropped. Um, you know, of, uh, you know the actual schedule for the broadcast schedule for the uh, for the show, um, and. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Joss Snake says, well, I want to know when the cast members are coming to class. We'll see. We'll see. I'll, I, I, I may invite some folks. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll see. Um, but um, anyway, yeah, no, it's going to be, uh, uh, it's definitely going to be a fun time. But let me, um, let me let you know. Yeah, yeah, Karita is posting that uh, we do have uh, calls for papers for several Signum events uh, open. We've got a whole bunch of moots coming up. So, of course, you know, some of my travel um, off to, you know, it's been a it's been a mixture this summer. Sometimes I've been off uh, on events, um, you know, places I was invited by the Amazon folks to either preview stuff or meet folks and stuff. And that's been that's been fun. It's been really cool uh, to be able to see a bunch of that stuff. Some of the travel I've been doing has been uh, family travel. Um, I'm doing a thing this summer, which I know we're, I mean, we're not the only family to have done this, which is this is the summer in which some plans which were canceled and postponed and rescheduled from 2020 finally happened. So we had like two family vacations that we had planned and paid for years apart, which both happened uh, this summer. So uh, that's been another thing. That's where I just was uh, last week was with my family. Uh, and then, uh, and then, of course, in addition, there's also been fun Signum events um, because our regional moot uh, season has begun. So I was just in Cincinnati a couple weeks back, um, the very end of July for uh, for our first ever Buckeye, Buckeye moot, which was fun. And we have several other events that are coming up. We've got Mountain Moot coming up in Denver uh, next month in September, and then we've got Middle Moot and New England Moot both happening in Kansas City, Missouri, and in uh, up here in New Hampshire, near me, uh, respectively, uh, in the month of October. And then, of course, the Prancing Pony Moot, uh, uh, hosted by our friends at uh, the Prancing Pony Podcast. 
that's going to be out in Milwaukee at Marquette University uh, on the 22nd of October. And I'm, I'm going to be there uh, as well, actually. I'm going to be uh, speaking at the Prancing Pony Moot, so I'll be able to uh, be there as well. Um, and uh, anyway, so that's going to be... Uh, um, that's going to be, and yes, Finn, that is correct. I am going to be uh, uh, guesting, uh, a guest host there at the Prancing Pony uh, podcast for uh, a few episodes, uh, four or five, I think, at the beginning. Um, I'm going to, I have the, uh, I volunteered uh, for the very unenviable position to be the first person who is not Sean uh, to be partnered with Alan uh, in the Prancing Pony podcast. I'm going to be the uh, the transition into the uh, into the guest co-hosts uh, for this coming year. Um, so that'll be happening. Uh, I don't remember all the dates, but um, September October uh, is when those uh, uh, those are gonna those are gonna air. So, yeah, so that's gonna be happening too. Um, and in addition, of course, you might have heard uh, the announcements. Um, but um, oh yeah, and Drowsnake, nothing horrible happened to Sean. It's just like a it's just just a life conflict, basically. They'll be talking about it. There's gonna they're gonna be doing a big celebration for Sean. Uh, but, uh, yeah, no, he's not, no, he wasn't smitten down by anything, uh, uh, by anything horrible. I'm glad to say. Um, but, uh, anyway, the other thing I wanted to make sure to, uh, that, to, that everybody had heard about is my new show that is going to be happening. Rings and Realms, exploring prime videos, rings of power. So this is going to be an analysis show, uh, that I am hosting. Uh, and which is being produced by the co-host of Other Minds and Hands, Maggie Park, um, and who, which is uh, also being uh, produced, uh, being uh, uh, directed and produced uh, by the good folks at Studio Lab up here in Derry, New Hampshire, uh, the video studio up here. Um, and they are doing this amazing job. So this, what this show is going to be, this is going to be an analysis show. It's not a reaction show. Um, that is, I'm not going to be for, I'm not going to be focused on reactions. We're going to be doing analysis. So the the uh, episodes of Rings and Realms are going to drop uh, about a week after. Um, so you know, it's like late Thursday, early Friday, right when uh, the Rings of Power episodes are going to be dropping. And we're going to be releasing the episode like the, the so the first we're going to do an intro episode first on the on the thirty that'll drop on the thirty first of August. Um, but our analysis episodes will come on like the Wednesdays following, so almost a full week uh, before the next episode. When you've had time to watch the episode, think it through, um, you know, kind of formulate questions and think. This is not a not a quick reaction show. It's designed to be a deep. Uh, a, a deep dive, uh, thoughtful analysis. So that's what we're going to be doing uh, in Rings and Realms. Um, and um, it's going to be, this is not a podcast. Um, this is going to be, it's more like a TV show uh, than it is like a podcast. Um, so it's, it's going to be a fully produced and edited uh, thing. So episodes of this are going to be, are going to be dropped. It's really kind of spectacular, actually. Um, the studio that I'm working with Studio Lab uh, in Derry. They're just, there's, it's an amazing facility with an incredible group of people up there. Um, and they can do some pretty amazing things uh, in their facility. They have basically the same video, uh, 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 digital, 3D digital uh, video uh, technology that they use to film like the Mandalorian and stuff. And um, uh, so that's the 
uh, studio I'm going to be shooting uh, Rings and Realms in. Um, it's going to be it's, it's it's really cool. Like I, I don't even like. I don't even myself like totally understand uh, the magic of like what's going to be happening here. Um, this is really kind of something that I have uh, very little experience um, with myself. Um, but anyway, it's going to be pretty cool. So yeah, so where you can find it, Two Juice Man, um, it's going to be so. Uh, Rings and Realms has its own YouTube channel. Uh, so look up Rings and Realms on YouTube. Um, also, please do follow it on social media. Um, it's got, uh, we you know, have a Twitter account, Instagram, um, all, all, the, all, all the things, you know. Um, and uh, it's affiliated with Signum University, of course. Uh, so Signum University and Studio Lab in partnership are, are, are producing this. Um, we've created a separate presence for the show, mostly because we don't know exactly the future destiny of the show. It may be uh, that we will just continue it totally independently um, as it is currently, uh, you know, as it's currently being uh, put out. Uh, it may gain an affiliation uh, with, uh, with somebody else down the road. I don't know. We'll see what happens. Um, but it is sort of set aside on its own for now, though, it, as I say, it's associated, of course, uh, with Signum University uh, and everything that we uh, uh, that we do there. So um, I, this is just going to this is such a fun adventure for me. Um, I'm going to be uh, doing some filming uh, this week. Um, and by the way. Oh, uh, another thing. Um, uh, another thing that's happening this week. Just, you know. On the side, um, John Howe is coming as a guest to Other Minds and Hands uh, tomorrow afternoon at 4 p.m. Eastern time. Um, so we're going to have a conversation. Maggie and I will both be there in the studio, actually. Um, and uh, again, um, so it'll be our third in a row um, Other Minds and Hands episode um, from... Um, uh, from this, from the studio there, uh, and we'll be joined remotely uh, by John Howe. Um, and our goal there is to have. It's funny. Somebody um, on Twitter was just asking me today. They're like, "Why did, why didn't you have John Howe like in a couple weeks, right? So that you could talk about the show." Um, and I actually, I did that on purpose. I requested, uh, you know, one of these two dates, either either this week or next week. Um, I wanted to talk to John Howe prior uh, to the show coming out, and I wanted to do that so that we could talk. I, I knew once everybody had seen the episode, it was going to be really hard not to focus on uh, on that, you know, on the actual, on this particular adaptation. And I wanted to talk to John Howe first more about just adaptation in general, thinking about, you know, his reflecting on his career as an adapter specifically a visual adapter of Tolkien's work. So we're going to be talking about that, um, kind of how he, um, how he does it, how he relates himself, how he, you know, when he's, when he's doing, um, you know, when he's doing sketches, when he's doing paintings, um, you know, when he is in his creative space, how he relates himself to the books, how that adaptation process works for him. That's the thing that is, to me, uh, the, the going to be sort of the heart of our conversation. I'm sure we'll talk about some Rings of Power uh, stuff as well. Um, but um, 
Anyway, yeah, exactly, Kron. We're going to talk about how he does it. That's exactly right. Um, there are some other folks from the Rings of Power show that I'm hoping to bring on other minds and hands. I see people were joking about the cast coming and joining us here. I'm not sure how many people are going to join us for exploring the Lord of the Rings, um, but other minds and hands is where I think there will be a number of people, um, both uh, on casting crew of uh, Rings of Power, who will probably be dropping by other minds and hands um, uh, sooner or later. But um, anyway... That's um, that's no. Those of you who are asking, I have no intention of giving John Howe a hard time about the winged Balrogs. Um, no, no, I don't. Um, <laughs> but anyway, so as I say, just a quick reminder: Rings and Realms. Um, uh, if uh, you could uh, just take a second uh, and uh, follow us on uh, Instagram and Twitter and subscribe on YouTube and stuff like that, it would be cool. We're not going to spam you with a whole bunch of stuff, um, but that way you can get announcements and make sure that you are uh, seeing those episodes as they come. As they say, our first, our premiere episode, our sort of introductory episode, uh, will be on uh, August 31st. So uh, we will see. Uh, uh, we will see how those uh, how those go, um, but um, <laughs> yes, yes, man of pong. It's exactly what I'm not going to ask <laughs> John How about the Balrog wings, um, but um, yeah, there we are. Okay, and yes, Nancy, it is true. Like I, I you know, people have been teasing me about uh, Rings and Realms and and how like I'm possibly going to have the time to do all this, uh, and as I said. Um, um, as, as I said on Twitter the other day, uh, Rings and Realms has two things that, like, this production, for instance, does not have. One is a script, and the other is an editor, right? And with the help of those two things, I can actually say things much more efficiently uh, than I do here. That's not what we do here, right? This is a, a good deal more spontaneous, but... Um, um, Anyway, anyway, okay, so just I wanted to keep you guys updated about what's going on. There's a lot going on uh, these days, um, but Rings and Realms is a really, really exciting new uh, new project, and I hope that you will uh, you will join me for that. The episodes are supposed to be, well, I'm not 100% sure, somewhere between half an hour to an hour long, um, but... Um, uh, but there we go. So, um, yeah, see, oh, and Matt, did I mention I'm not the editor myself, right? So I can go on and talk for as long as I want to, right? And at the end of the day, the editor can still produce a half-hour show. <laughs> so, you know, it's it's uh, it's not it's not that hard. Um, but um, anyhow, um, yeah. Oh, Madagot. Yes, I do plan uh, to uh, talk to John Howe about the Hobbit feet issue. Um, I, I wasn't gonna. I wasn't planning to, you know, uh, uh, try to pin him to the wall on the Balrog wings question. But the Hobbit feet question, I, I think I probably am going to uh, uh, gonna gonna <laughs> gonna talk about. Um, so uh, so yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Um, <laughs> okay. Yeah, 
Oh, Maria, doesn't the trailer look gorgeous? Oh, my goodness. Um, and that was, by the way, this is the answer to another question that I've been getting, which is how do I possibly have time to do like another, you know, new show like this? Um, and the answer is I, I, I absolutely don't. Um, this has been driven by uh, the team who's doing this. Um, uh, as I say, Maggie Park has been uh, our executive producer and um, she's been working with the with uh, Benjamin Davis, the director of the uh, studio up there at Studio Lab and their awesome team. Um, and they've been putting together this stuff. I actually hadn't even seen the trailer. I, I, I saw the trailer the same time you guys did, actually, uh, because it was produced while I was away traveling with my family. So I was, um, I was literally like um, in week... And a weak cell signal near a fjord in Alaska, uh, and uh, watching the trailer uh, from Twitter, uh, same as everybody else. So, um, so yeah, no, it's it's been the, it's an awesome team that we have doing stuff, and this has been a this has been a really exciting, been a really exciting thing. So. Yeah, and by the way, welcome to all the new people. I see that there's a, uh, there's a bunch of folks who have caught up. This is one virtue, I suppose, of uh, uh, having our schedule interrupted by travels and things like that is to give people a little bit more time uh, to catch up. So welcome, uh, welcome to the uh, uh, to the to the new folks. Uh, very cool. All right. Well, with this, let us jump back into the text. Finally, I know this has been a rather a prolonged uh, and chatty um, announcements period here, but uh, uh, but anyway, yeah. So glad that you guys could. Uh, so glad that you guys could come. So let us move on to Aragorn the Killjoy. So we have just finished being introduced to Holland. Um, the passage we talked about last time, which was about three or four years ago, was uh, Legolas talking about the rocks, uh, right, and the memories of the rocks of Holland. Um, now we return to action. We move to, we, to, we move forward to the sequence of their travel. That morning, they lit a fire in a deep hollow, shrouded by great bushes of holly, and their supper breakfast was merrier than, had, than it had been since they set out. They did not hurry to bed afterwards, for they expected to have all the night to sleep in, and they did not mean to go on again until the evening of the next day. Only Aragorn was silent and restless. After a while, he left the company and wandered on to the ridge. There he stood in the shadow of a tree, looking out southwards and westwards, with his head poised as if he was listening. Then he returned to the brink of the dell and looked down at the others, laughing and talking. Okay. Um, so, first of all, let's recall the immediate context here, right? Gandalf had said that they had now arrived in Holland, right? So let's... Uh, Let's let's. Go. I know you guys always tease me when I go back, but I want to go back uh, just to make sure that we, again, it's been a really long time. Um, okay, so um, Gandalf has just said it's for the Dimril Dale that we're making, right? After you know, Gimli was talking about the you know the Azanul Bazaar, the Dimril Dale, which the elves call Nanduhirian. It's for the Dimril Dale that we're making. If we climb the pass that is called the Redhorn Gate, we shall come down by the Dimril Dale. Dimril stare into the deep veil of the dwarves. Um, and um, we at least cannot stay in that valley. We must go down to this, go down the silver load. So he's let, let, laid out the plan, right? Um, but then he, returning back to the immediate future, let us be glad that the first stage is safely over. I think we will rest here, not only today, but tonight as well. So they're planning a full... 
24 hour, um, uh, lingering more than 24 hours, really, right? About 36 hours of rest here in this spot. Um, they're going to, they're going to take a whole day off and rest here. Um, there is a wholesome air about Holland. Much evil must befall a country before it wholly forgets the elves if once they dwelt here, there, right? So this is Gandalf's rationale for why they're going to chew. They're taking refuge in Holland in part because of its association with the elves, right? There is a, a wholesome air about Holland um, so that it's not just the rest that they're going to be getting. Um, they are, uh, there we go. It's not just the, the extra time that they're going to be spending resting. There is some influence there, right? In some sense, on some level, Holland still smells like elves. Now, what we immediately notice, right? Um, uh, what we immediately notice is that they are in a deep hollow shrouded by great bushes of holly, right? So um, we have this almost sort of physical literalization of things, right? Just as uh, the the land of Holland, sort of blessed by the presence of the elves, um, is going to be sort of, I don't know what, nourishing them, right? And sort of watching over them. And the campsite where they are sitting is literally surrounded uh, by these great bushes of holly, which not only provide them shelter, right, from the wind, um, uh, but also, you know, seem to be almost a sort of an outward representation of that kind of sheltering of, uh, that the land of Holland, um, uh, gives them. So, um, uh, yeah, Arnold, that's a great question. If Holly was, was the token of the elves of Holland, is that an indication that this spot was once a revered spot or is Holly just very abundant? Well, of course, after so long, it's hard to say, right? I mean, you know, they, they did plant holly trees. Gandalf will say that they did plant holly trees, um, you know, at important spots. So you can't rule out the idea that this was once a place of some significance. But of course, it's been growing free now for millennia since then, right? So um, there's no real reason to think that any particular bushes of holly uh, in Eregion were necessarily like directly planted there by the elves. And yet this juxtaposition does, I think, Arnold sort of invite um, that kind of uh, that kind of association. Yeah, exactly. As Mad Violinist says, 4,700 years can grow a lot of holly trees. Absolutely true to almost any size they care to grow in that time, for sure. Um, Bjorning, you're right that Legolas says that the plants don't remember the elves, um, but that doesn't mean that they weren't um, sort of descended from them. I mean, I think the implication is that the the holly trees that stand next to the gates of Moria um, were planted by the elves. Um, so, and again, those trees, Legolas doesn't tell us specifically about those trees, right? Do they remember better than the other plants and trees of, 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 of Holland? But again, I don't think that that reference to them not remembering, um, again, it doesn't, I think... Even though, remember, Legolas's speech about the plants and the stones uh, comes in direct response to Gandalf's comment that I just went back and read um, about uh, there being a wholesome air about Holland. 
Um, so he's he's responding to that directly. But again, I, I don't think it's about it's about the the direct memories of them. Um, there's something a little bit less. Uh, I don't know what direct. I suppose that that. Um, but um, yeah. Well, trifle. I agree. Um, Five thousand years is a a very respectable age indeed for a holly tree, right? Um, it it does take a lot of believing to imagine uh, that. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. We're not quite up to those holly trees yet. We'll see what cues we get in the text when we get to that point. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, well, yeah. I, I mean, I I do get the sense from Legolas. It's not just that so many plants have lived and died that you know they like no longer remember the stories or whatever and don't you know retain individual memories. Um, <clears throat> I think it's very possible that an individual tree might forget. Who knows? Um, um, yeah, Rowan says the stones are steadier than pliable trees. Um, yes. Yes, possibly, um, possibly, um, but um, yeah. So, trifle I think was also referring a, l- a little while back um, to the horrifying end of uh, the elves of Regian. Um, uh, yeah, that's true. Though. I- I think I want to be careful about sequencing. Um, I'm wanting to be a little bit careful about. That is to say, um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure that in Tolkien's mind, Celebrimbor had yet been nailed to a pole um, when this passage was written. Um, that is, I don't think the whole. Um, the whole story of Sauron and the Wars of Eregion had really unfolded in Tolkien's mind um, by this time. I mean, he works that stuff out later on. Um, but I'm trying to remember if there's any reference to suggest that that's clearly in his mind at this point. Um, yeah, I mean, he works that out later on when he's doing the appendices and such. Um but um yeah yeah exactly trifle was adding it's interesting that sauron marching across this land doesn't count as as great evil yeah great evil must befall a country right before it for, wholly forgets the elves um there are a couple things i think uh trifle that we can say to that one is that uh simply Again, he wasn't thinking about that yet. You know, that the story of uh, Sauron and the Wars of Eregion post-dated this. We have a clear association, primarily through Gandalf here, but we have a clear association of this realm with peace, right? Um, It's not yet associated with war and tragedy. The war and tragedy will come when Tolkien does turn his mind to actually working out the history of this region, it turns out to be one of warfare and tragedy, right? Um, but it hasn't. Uh, um, but it hasn't really um, necessarily really taken shape, and so is therefore in his mind as he's writing this passage not the dominant story of this area. Um, 
the second thing is that I'm wondering, Trifle, if even the war with Sauron is the sort of evil that Gandalf is referring to. Um, much evil must befall a land before it wholly forgets the elves. Yes, but of what kind and of what duration? I'm thinking in particular here of a phenomenon I've talked about it on many occasions. We've talked about this a lot um, in my Lotro explorations, actually. Um, it's come up many times because uh, in the Lord of the Rings Online, in their adaptation, um, they're very sensitive to this, and they do a lot with this kind of thing. And the this I'm referring to is the idea of the presence or the dwelling of evil in an area causing desolation, right? The, the kind of simplest version of that um, is the desolation of Smaug in The Hobbit, right? We just see by the mere fact that the dragon is there um, and we get, we get it sort of physicalized in some way with Smaug, like he literally stinks. Um, you know, the, the reek of the dragon and the smoke and everything, right? Um, but um, but there's clearly something sort of metaphysical involved there as well, right? Is this is sort of the evil influence of the dragon um, that has blasted? You know, the, Dale was a beautiful green valley, and it is not anymore, right? And it's clearly, I and mean, we remember, we may remember Balin's memories, right? When Balin and Bilbo are walking together, exploring the Lonely Mountain when they first arrive, and Balin is looking down into what had been the fair green valley of Dale, and he's wistfully reminiscing about how beautiful it used to be, and now it's a blasted wilderness instead, right? No green, nothing growing. Um, and I, this is not, I think, because Smaug routinely just comes up and, you know, burns off the countryside. Um, and he's been in there for quite some time, right? More than long enough for green to return, green of some kind at least, to return to the lands. Um, but it hasn't done, right? And it hasn't done because of uh, because of how he, just again, his presence. Now we see this much more pointedly and much more poignantly um, with Sauron, right? As um, Sam and Frodo approach. We remember ahead to Sam and Frodo approaching the Black Gate. Um, uh, remember Sam's I feel sick line, right? As he's looking about um, at what Tolkien doubtless remembering um, his uh, recalling some of his horrible memories from World War One called No Man's Land, uh, the area around um, around the Black Gate, right? Um, Sauron has destroyed the the land about him simply has been destroyed right by Sauron's presence um Mordor of course has been blasted deeply in the same kind of way we see we will see of course the same thing has happened to Isengard um somewhat ostentatiously in some ways that is uh um Saruman seems to have adopted you know waste and desolation practically as like, you know, the new chic, right? Like it's, it's, it's almost like Saruman feels that like in order to be, uh, a real power, like to, it, it, 
Saruman seems to cultivate desolation around him, uh, almost like a, an insecure junior high student, right, who's trying to fit in with the cool crowd, uh, right? Like all the cool dictators have uh, uh, have you know desolation and waste around them. So uh, so I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna create that too, and we see him manufacturing that um, through his deforestation practices and things at at at, at Isengard, um, and of course we see him undertaking the similar kind of thing. Um, in uh, uh, in the Shire, right? Um, so anyway, so all of this, all of this is to say, there's, there's there's lots of examples, right? There's lots of instances of this kind of trend, um, and so trifle. This is a very an enormously long winded response to your suggestion before, but that is, I'm wondering if that's the kind of when Tolkien is talking about um, much evil must befall a land before it wholly forgets the elves. I wonder if that's the sort of thing that he has in mind, right? The elves. This place remembers the elves not because they passed through, right? Um, blessing, the blessing of the elves, the happiness, the joy, the bliss of the elves in this place was not a transitory thing. They were happy here for a long time. They lived here, right? And they therefore filled this land with their own joy, with their own blessing. Um, in order for this land wholly to forget that, that I think would have to be displaced, displaced by um, something equal and opposite, not just passing through. And, and I'm not trying to downplay how horrible the wars of Sauron and the Elves of Eregion were, and the atrocities that happened, and poor Celebrimbor, and all that kind of thing. I'm not trying to say that it's not awful, because it totally is. Um, but what I'm saying is, I think it's not enough to make the land forget. Um, to make the land forget the elves. Um, yeah, yeah. And yes, as Bjorning in Exile recalls here, um, the elves interacted with the land of Eregion. Um, you know, deep they delved us, high they built us, right? Um, those are the things that they remember. Sauron's orcs just marched across, right? They were gone in a blip. And it was horrible. And I'm not saying that that kind of thing can't leave its mark, necessarily. Um, on places, but um, uh, but yeah, there does seem to be to use a totally different metaphor uh, a certain amount of momentum right in the blessing of this country that one single war, howsoever bad, is probably not enough to counterbalance i don 't know, but that 's sort of my idea uh, anyway um, but um yeah, yeah um. Yeah, we will have to remember this conversation decades from now when we get to the scouring of the Shire. Absolutely. Absolutely. This is going to be the scouring in some ways, actually, Trifle. I think that the um, the scouring of the Shire is a really interesting payoff of a lot of these things happening, right? Um, it's... Um, I'm not saying that Tolkien described all of these things, the desolation of Smaug, Mordor, um, Isengard... Uh, I'm not saying that he described all of those things all just as a setup for the scouring of the Shire. Um, but I do think that there's a kind of payoff in the scouring of the Shire. Um, we, like the hobbits themselves, we've, we've learned a thing or two, right? Um, we've come to understand more about how the world works, the big world works. And so we may we can come back and see a kind of significance that 
others in the in the Shire won't necessarily see, and we wouldn't have seen, right? If we'd not been if we'd not been through that. Um, but um, anyway, so we will uh, we will see. <laughs> we'll see later on. Later on, we'll get to uh, we'll get to the scouring of the Shire. Um, but um, yeah, Dolor Stroke says the implication is that the elves' influence would last forever unless evil comes. Um, yeah, yeah, I think um, I think he does seem to imply that. Um, and by the way, that is an old, old idea in Tolkien's imagination. Like, way back to the 19-teens. You go back to some of the very earliest things Tolkien wrote. Um, some of his old elf, like, elfin poetry. Um, I'm not thinking of goblin feet specifically, but um, especially Cortirian Among the Trees, if you've ever read Cortirian Among the Trees. Um, uh, and especially, by the way, not the version uh, the later version that's in The Adventures of Tom Bombadil, but the early version, the one you can find in um, uh, the Book of Lost Tales, Volume 1. Um, the, so the, the version that he wrote back in like 1914, I think it was. Um, and what that poem is about is about places in modern England where that still remember the elves, basically, where you can still feel the influence and presence of elves, of fairies. Um, so, uh, so yeah, that's, um, a very, um, you could almost say, this would be a big claim, right? Um, uh, starting is a big claim for anybody, but, um, you could almost say that that concept, the concept of the land always retaining the memory of elves who were there is one of the places where Tolkien's entire imagine, like his entire mythology began, um, was sort of starting from that concept. Um, so yeah, this is a, this is a, we're, we're going, um, these little kind of throwaway lines, uh, in Holland here, um, in what is honestly in the context of the Lord of the Rings narrative itself, a whole throwaway region, frankly. I mean, very little of lasting importance is going to happen while they're in Holland. Um, and, you know, compared to the other lands that they travel to and the other characters that they meet, I mean, when you, com you, know, you put like the, you just kind of take the, the places the Fellowship visits, right? Um, uh, you know, are the places that, that that the narrative goes to, and you think about uh, Lothlorien and even like Rauros and Parthgalen, right? Ithilien, um, Minas Tirith, Rohan, Mordor, right? All of the, you know, a uh, 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 Isengard, um, uh, Fangorn, right? All of the regions that they go to, and all of these places have like really important characters and really important. Um, and when you when you put Holland. Right, the Holland that we get, the the not not the Holland of our imagination, right? Not the Holland of of kind of reconstructing the Second Age. Um, of course, Holland is very important with the Rings of Power being forged there and everything else. Um, and of course, because of the new TV show, we're thinking about Eregion a lot uh, these days. But um, but again, when you take it out of that context, you just just think about the story, just its role in the story, right? Um, 
it's much less significant than almost any other little bit, little chapter, right? You know, you look at the itinerary, even backwards, right? The Shire, Bree, um, you know, the Old Forest, uh, the Weathertop, right? Um, the Fort of Bruin Inn. Just, you know, the significance of the time that they spend in Holland is just not as great. I mean, it's, 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 it's a, it's a pretty minor incident. This whole thing is a pretty minor incident, right? And yet, as I say, it's got really deep roots. Um, and there's some, some very, very profound things um, that uh, kind of bubble to the surface here. Um, I, I think I was trifold counting Karathras as its own location, but at the same time... Um, I, even even if we included Karathras, I mean, you know, Karathras is sort of significant, but it's more indirectly significant, right? I mean, again, still, when you compare it to, when you compare even the whole Karathras incident to other major incidents that occur, you know, like the attack at Parthgalan, or I think of other, like, major um, uh, roadblocks, right, or obstacles uh, that they face and confront over the course of their journey, Karathras, even the even Karathras is a pretty minor figure in that in that list. But um, anyway, um, yeah, Bjornasson, you're right. Holland's whole thing is how empty it is. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, but um, yeah, okay, cool. Um, <laughs> Nancy is remembering the "It's Saruman" line. We'll get there. <laughs> we'll 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 get there. We'll get there. Um, okay. Um, all right. Where were we? Shrouded by great bushes of holly. That's where we've been, right? Um, as this sort of physical representation, in a sense, um, almost like the bushes are, as I say, a physical manifestation of the memories of the elves. Uh, not that the bushes themselves remember the elves, right? But that the bushes themselves are like a manifestation of those memories themselves. That blessing, that peace, that sheltering protection. And notice the consequences. Their supper breakfast was merrier than it had been since they set out. Um, the consequence of camping in Holland, right? The effect of the wholesome air of Holland is merriment. Right? Merriment. Um, they're tired and need rest, presumably. Um, they're hungry and want food, presumably. Um, but it's not these things for which this uh, rest stop seems to be calculated. And again, Gandalf's description of it seemed that he was thinking of that explicitly. It's their spirits that need boosting up. Remember what we were seeing in the last few pages prior to this uh, of the Hobbit spirits, right? Not just of the, their, the physical difficulties, right, of the journey that they've been confronting, but the discouragement that they've been facing, that feeling of being like snails crawling along and all that sort of thing. Um, but now they have merriment. When you get um, uh, what happens when you spend time where the Noldor of Eregion, where the High Elves, right, the Noldor of Eregion lived, you get a little tra-la-la-lolly seeping up 
out of the stones into you, right? Um, again, I, 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 you guys, I've brought this up many, many times, right? Um, but of course, you will hear many, many people say, oh, the elves of the Lord of the Rings are completely different from those elves of the Hobbit. They're not totally different. And here we see it again, right? Um, what effect does elf influence have upon them? Merriment, right? Um, they're going to be, you know, singing tra la la lolly and baking bannocks before you know it here uh, if this... Uh, if this keeps up. So, um, yeah, yeah. Um, anyhow, um, so that's, um, that's a really fun little note, right? Uh, the, this is as merry, merrier than it had been since they set out, you know, from Rivendell, right? The heart of tra la la uh, on, in Middle Earth. Um, They did not hurry to bed afterwards, for they expected to have all the night to sleep in, and did not mean to go on again until the evening of the next day. (laughs) So you notice, (laughs) they don't just get into a tra-la-la-lolly frame of mind, right? Remember that encounter between the elves, Bilbo's first encounter with the elves that we see uh, in chapter, at the beginning of chapter three of The Hobbit, in the famous tra-la-la-lolly episode, right? Remember what happens. They're Bilbo and the dwarves are arriving. They've just had a fairly harrowing experience with the trolls, right? They've been on the road now for several weeks and they're exhausted. And they arrive at evening, right? Um, in like the evening gloaming. And the elves are singing tra la 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 And what do the elves do? They invite Bilbo and the dwarves to stay out and sing with them all night long, Right? Um, as if the only real rest that you could possibly need is not sleep, right? But is in, um, you know, a, a steady serving of tra la la uh, with a side of bannocks, right? Um, but uh, so, so yeah, that's we, we see that exact same pattern happening here, right? Um, they're going to rest, which doesn't mean primarily they're going to get extra sleep, right? They're, they are going to have the opportunity for extra sleep, right? So in, obviously they're not simply saying, instead of sleep, let us tra la la lolly the night away. That's not the explicit plan here. But it is an interesting sort of parallel, right? There is something even more fortifying than sleep, right? Um, and in this case, the merriment that they are enjoying together does seem to uh, uh, sort of factor into that, I think. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, there is a sudden contrast in mood, Connor, um, both in that chapter of, of The Hobbit um, and here in The Lord of the Rings. Yeah, yeah. Um, and notice how what we're going to get as a consequence of that, right? Um, there's a lot of, you know, laughing and talking, we are told, happening, right? The merriment is continuing. The merriment, it's not just that the meal was merry, right? The merriment is spilling on into the day when normally they would be collapsing into sleep, right? Preparing themselves to, uh, you know, get up and begin another long march as soon as it starts to get dark as they're traveling by night. Um, 
that would be the normal routine, right? But now the merriment is going to continue on into the daylight hours. Um, and, uh, and that really gets emphasized in this set of paragraphs here of which, you know, t- tonight's passage is the beginning. Um, we're going to see a lot of, a lot of banter, right? A lot of hobbitry, a lot of joking. Um, and, uh, but yet we're also going to see Aragorn holding himself aloof from all of that, right? Um, only Aragorn was silent and restless. His silence sets him as his activity aside from their activity, right? They are not silent. They're laughing and talking, right? Um, the merriment is effusive, it seems, right? In their camp. And Aragorn is silent. So his silence sets them apart from their activities. His restlessness sets him aside from their attitude, right? Where they are releasing tension, right? They're releasing anxiety. They are um, finding encouragement and uh, comfort and everything. He is, he is not, right? He is restless. He can't rest. He can't let go. Um, he can't, won't let down his guard. Now, Terristan, that's a really great point. It's hard to imagine Boromir being merry. Um, I, you know, no, I, I totally, by the way, um, I often complain about the movies and I want people to think I just hate the Peter Jackson movies. Um, so let me praise them here. Um, the scene with Boromir and Merry and Pippin on the mountain, like when they tackle him and then we teaching them to fight and they tackle him and stuff. Love that scene. I, I thought that was a wonderful, wonderful scene um, that really, because we don't get much of Boromir in the book or we just don't. Um, and yet that's exactly a kind of scene that I felt like it seemed right. Like, yeah, that's, that's exactly the kind of thing that would have happened. Like they, they would have gotten to know um, Boromir um, and uh, I definitely, I definitely can see, I, I definitely can see something like that, uh, something like that happening. Um, but um, so, yeah, there are lots of great reasons for like the, the I mean, of course, the Marion Pippins, the way that that gets paid off and Marion Pippins standing there, the look on Marion Pippins faces when they're watching Boromir get filled full of arrows right in front of their faces right at the end. I mean, that... Um, the shock and the the grief there I, it pays off beautifully within the film um but um but more than that yeah i think we do see it retrospectively from pippin's perspective in the book musical eventually we're going to get towards that uh kind of thing that he says that he had liked boromir from the beginning right um and uh, anyway yeah no so no i'm going to say i don't think we have any reason to think that Boromir is holding himself aloof here from the merriment. Um, I bet you Boromir's a fun guy. Um, his He seems to be genuinely not just respected, but loved uh, by his people. Um, uh, and I, I think... So I don't think he's a stiff, necessarily. Um, but, uh, yeah, yeah. Anyway, right. 
Highlander Wind says Boromir seems like a frat guy, uh, to be honest. Maybe. Possibly. Possibly. Um, uh, yeah. I don't know. I mean, exactly how much fun was Boromir at parties? I can see that going a couple different ways, right? I really could. Um, uh, but, um, I certainly think that he would be personable. I, again, I, what I don't see is him merely um, uh, holding himself aloof, right? Um, yeah, oh, man. Kron, that's a really complicated question. Um comparing and contrasting the different reactions of film viewers and book readers to the increased presence of Boromir and the increased presence of Saruman. I think I did that get even me too far afield to address that too much. Uh, maybe, uh, maybe I can come back to that and talk about that on a Grifflet stream sometime. That'd be fun. But, um, uh, anyway, yeah, yeah. Um, Anyway, yeah, Ambrosius, it's a really good question. I was just kind of toying with that question my own self. Um, should we think of him as closer to an early medieval knight or to Beowulf? Um, I want to say knight. I think he's closer to Sir Lancelot than he is to Beowulf, culturally speaking. Um, I think. But I'm not 100% sure. Uh, yeah. Um But of course, neither one is exact. It's not like, you know, those are our two possible paradigms. Um, and, um, oh, well, Valori depends on which Lancelot, right? Um, I, sorry, I, I'm a Mallory guy. It's Thomas Mallory. Um, Mallory's version of the story is my favorite version of the story. So I'm always thinking of, uh, uh I'm always thinking of, um, of, I'm always thinking of, of Mallory characters, and so I'm thinking of Mallory's Lancelot, who's I, whom I like quite a bit. Not John Cleese's Lancelot. Evil Dr. Cannon, absolutely. Anyway, anyway, anyway. Okay. Um, but um, this is me waving away every temptation to go down any one of these rabbit holes, because Boromir is not even mentioned in this passage, other than the important question of people participating in the merriment. Um, but let's move on past Boromir here. I see no reason to believe Boromir is not um, uh, participating in the laughing and talking. Gimli, I believe, Legolas. I, I, we know that Gandalf and the Hobbits are, right? That's the easiest thing to imagine. The only question is, can anybody else keep up with Gandalf and the Hobbits, right, for the talking and laughing uh, portion of this uh of this program, right? Um, and um, so, yeah, I think that we are instructed to imagine that Boromir and Gimli and Legolas um, are going to all be involved in the merriment and the laughing and the talking um, and going to be contributing their own. I mean, Gimli, I think, was already um, was helping, right? I mean, you know, his speech wasn't exactly a laugh riot, right? Um, but yet, 
was sort of a boost to the spirits, right? Um, uh, And, you know, we talked about sort of the significance of it, like the extent to which Gimli is, uh, well, if not oversharing in the sense of being inappropriate, but certainly sharing more than he had to um, in uh, uh, in his talk about... Khazad Doom and his own dreams, his you know, literally his dreams and all that kind of thing. But yeah, opening up and bonding, I definitely see that um that happening. And musical, I absolutely agree. Um when at the end, you know, Aragorn returns to the brink of the dell and looked down at the others laughing and talking, I think it's clearly the other eight, right, who are all laughing and talking together. So absolutely, I believe that we um um we are invited to imagine all of those things. So it does, in my opinion, give us the license to imagine Boromir, Gimli, and Legolas, and what kinds of, you know, contributions they would be making to the merriment. Um, The other thing I'd offer there, with Legolas and Gimli, it's actually pretty easy. Think about the kind of relationship that Legolas and Gimli show with Merry and Pippin when they're reunited, you know, the bantering that happens when they're reunited um, in uh, uh, in Isengard later on, right? Um, there's clearly affection and fun. There's obviously merriment in their past, right? Um, so I think that we definitely, um, um, we definitely, we definitely have that here, right? Um, now, but let's get to Aragorn, because he's the one that these paragraphs are actually about. We talked about his silence and his restlessness. He does not enter into this same attitude. After a while, he left the company and wandered on to the ridge. There he stood in the shadow of a tree, looking out southwards and westwards, with his head posed as if he was listening. Then he returned to the brink of the dell and looked down at the others, laughing and talking. Okay, so... What's it, is he remembering Elendil and Gilgalad, Bjorning? I'm not sure. Um, hang on. Let's move ahead here for a second. I want to go back to our map. So here we are in Holland, uh, presumably somewhere near the word where the word Eregian Holland is here on the map, right? Um, and... Because there's Karathras down here is the Dimril Dale, so presumably like this particularly spiky tooth-like mountain here would probably represent Karathras or something. Okay, so there we are. He's looking south, which is over the land between them and Moria Gate, right between them and the pass, and he's looking west, out towards the Swan Fleet River the Mithaethel. He is not looking east to the Misty Mountains. Um, yeah. Arno, I agree. There is lots of reason for him to look south, right? If Even if for no other reason, then that's the direction they're going, right? Is there anything to be alarmed about in the direction that they're heading, right? So, he needs no excuses to be looking off towards the south. Looking off towards the west, I'm not really sure about. I don't see any reason, like the map doesn't suggest to me, any obvious reasons 
why he's looking. Um, Almarea, I agree that, of course, we do get the you know a general association of looking to the West um, with hope, right? If you're looking, you know, sort of to the West, capital W, right? Um, but I... Um, but I don't, I think I agree um, with Arnold that he seems to be, well, it doesn't say that he's worried, but he's restless. Um, I don't think he's looking, I don't think we have any reason to think that he's, you know, finding hope or encouragement from looking to the West. And he's looking, he's looking and listening in both of those directions, right? Um yeah, yeah. Um, yes, as Musical says, what he hears, as he's going to explain, is a lack of noise, right? Um, and it seems to be from the West that he is not hearing what he is not hearing, right? As it turns out, he's, as he's going to come back and explain here pretty soon, probably in a fortnight. Um, <laughs> but... Um, Yes, I don't think Almeria, I don't think he's looking where help might come from because I don't think he's anticipating any help. Not like that, right? Um, one doesn't look for the West hoping that, like, oh, I don't know, a giant eagle or something is going to swoop in and help you, right? He's not looking for a convenient moth. Um, that's not the sort of help that one gets from the West. That's not, the, we don't get that kind of association. Um, yes, Evil Dr. Cannon, I think it's exactly that. I think that, um, uh, the silence in the West is stranger than silence in the East. The mountains are more likely to be silent, usually, right, um, than uh, the um, than the lands off to the West. Again, that what is off to the West is this, um, you know, sort of hilly but fertile region that lies between them and the Swanfleet River, right? So um, you would expect that to be more full, more full of life. Um, where is the angle of the Loudwater and Horwell in relation to where they are? No, I don't think he's looking towards home, uh, Christopher. He's um, That would be more... Um, yeah, no, um, the... That would be um, from where they are up to the northwest, basically. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. So that wouldn't be exactly the direction that he's looking. I don't think it's a wist again, but mostly I see no. We we get no cues, nothing to suggest that he's looking hopefully or you know anxious. All we're told is that he's looking with his head posed as if he was listening, right? We don't know exactly what he's listening for yet. He's going to explain in just a little bit. Um, but, uh, but given his explanation soon, um, exactly. Attentive is what we get here. Musical. And also notice cautious as well. He's standing in the shadow of a tree. It's daylight recall. Um, and they're trying to keep a low profile. Um, so he stands in the shade, um, so that he can't be seen. He doesn't just, he, he's, he goes up on the ridge, um, so that he can, um, look about and he can listen about, um, but he does stand in the shadow of a tree. He does conceal himself to some extent up there. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, 
he certainly can see further to the south and west, certainly than the east, Arnold, we know for sure. Um, but, um, yeah, see, again, Julia, I, we can imagine, I think, that he could be doing something like saying goodbye to the kingdom of Arnor. But again, we've got no... We need to have some cue from the text uh, to... I mean, we can we can imagine these things, right? Um, but I don't see any reason to think, again, that he's hopeful, that he's... Um, you know, wistful that he's looking towards home. Um, I don't see any of these, um, uh, I don't see any hint or indication, right, that would prompt us in that direction. Um, and we would need something in order to, to sort of uh, justify that. Again, we can, we can imagine that it would, it would sort of fit. It's possible to do. Um, but yeah, I don't think uh, I don't think that we have any we have any we have any hint of that. Um, no, Matt. I think he's out. Matt is asking, would his view of uh, of the other cardinal points be blocked by the holly trees? He leaves the dell. I think entirely. He says that he goes up onto the ridge. So I think he's left the great bushes of holly behind entirely and found a different tree, right, that he's standing under, um, but one from which he can presumably see in whatever direction he wants to see. Um, yeah. But, um, yeah, yeah. Um, and yes, Jackie, I agree. He's, the listening seems to be the most important thing, right? That's the thing our attention is drawn to with the narrator's description of his head posed as if he was listening, right? Um, and it does seem that more than anything else, he wants to get away from the merriment of the party. But notice what he doesn't do. And several of you are pointing this out. Um, Aragorn is holding himself aloof. He is not joining either in his action or his attitude with the rest of the company here. Um, but he's also not merely being a killjoy. He could do, right? He could have, back at the camp, just said, hey, everybody shut up for a minute, right? Just just, just shut up. I need to listen. He could have he gone that way, right? But he's not gone that way. Um, and I think you can see a couple different reasons for that. One, of course, would be purely practical um, in that what he's wanting to hear is what the rest of the countryside is doing while they are talking, right? So uh, to some extent, he's sort of like not disturbing the environment in that way. Like, let me sneak off and see and to see what you sound like from this distance and that kind of thing. Um, but, um, but at the same time, uh, he's also, I think not going to undermine Gandalf's plan. Gandalf has a good reason for doing this, right? Um, Gandalf himself is part of the merriment. Um, he's in there laughing and talking and joking with everybody else, right? Um, and this is part of the part of the plan. They need not only physical recuperation, they need uh, to build their spirits back up. And Aragorn gets that. He's not going to He's not going to get in the way with that. Yeah, exactly. Uh, convenient moth was just uh, saying uh, saying the same thing. Now, Jeff, it is possible that he's gone up onto the ridge to compose a poem. You really can't rule that out, of course. Um, but um, uh, but we'll uh, we'll see. We'll see. Um, yeah, I don't. We don't. We don't get any evidence that he's composed any poetry up here. But uh, uh, but that would be fun. Um, Okay. Um, yes. And as Jackie says, Aragorn's a captain and leader of men, too. He knows. Yeah, he absolutely, he absolutely does, uh, does know. Um, 
Then he returned to the brink of the dell. So again, notice he doesn't just leave the dell and stand up at the edge of it, right? Um, he leaves the dell behind completely because now he's returning to its brink, uh, to its upper edge, and he's looking down at the others laughing and talking. Um, so this image of Aragorn standing above them um, is a... This is sort of you know, the final image of this paragraph. So I think a really interesting one. It's it's one of... Uh, of course, it, it reminds me of Balin, the lookout man, right? Whose job it always was to stand lookout for the dwarves in The Hobbit. Um, we see the vigilance of Aragorn. This idea of Aragorn... Th- I do think that there is an element of self-sacrifice here, right? Um, Aragorn's not a complete stiff. He could let himself go and... Um, uh, you know, enjoy himself with the rest of them here. Um, but he is taken it on himself to be alert instead, right? Um, <clears throat> and I think it will seem um, that there's something bothering him here. Um, but um, <laughs> Green Great Dragons at Aragorn, will you not come down? <clears throat> that would be a different context now, wouldn't it? Um, yeah. And Sarah, I do think he would be, in a sense, in the habit of doing this on his own as well. Um, just, I mean, yeah, I mean, he's certainly used to traveling alone and and keeping this kind of watch, right? Um, but clearly, this is one of the... I mean, we've seen him, um, you know, from the, you know, Aragorn knew the paths, even in the dark reference, right, that we got uh, several pages ago. We know that that him being their guide is one of the roles that he has here, right? And by the way, I think in this we can already see one of Aragorn's, uh, one of sort of the tensions of Aragorn's role already beginning to grow, don't we? Right? On the one hand, why is Aragorn with them? What's his job in the company? Well, don't forget, first and foremost, his job in the company is to go to Minas Tirith. That's why he's there. He and Boromir are present because they have business in Minas Tirith. Had the Company of the Ring not been setting out for Mordor, you know, Aragorn and Boromir would still have been marching south together to go to Minas Tirith, right? Um, They are involved in the Company of the Ring because the Company of the Ring is also going south for a very long time, right? And so, therefore, um, he's traveling with the Company. But that's his number one job. His number one job is to get to Minas Tirith, that he's been called, right, by the vision, this is what he is um, supposed to do. Um, But um, uh, anyway, he, um, so yeah, so he, on the one hand, that's his primary job, but on the other hand, we see already from the beginning, he is very useful to the company, right? He is very much putting his experience and skills at the disposal of Gandalf, who is in charge, uh, and of the rest of them. And this is, of course, what is going to lead to his problems later on. He's going to have a real dilemma by the end of book two, right? Um, The dilemma of what is he supposed to do? Is he in Gandalf's role as the leader of their party? Um it seems obvious that Frodo is going to need a guide to get to Mordor um, and a guide and guard to get into Mordor, and who better than Aragorn, right? Um, So 
it seems obvious to him that that's what he should be doing after Gandalf's fall, right? And yet, he got some pretty clear marching orders to go to Minas Tirith, didn't he? So, um, and that's what he, you know, that's what he set out to do. So, anyway, that tension is already beginning, right? His traveling with the company is in one sense, of course, uh, uh, just a, a matter of convenience. He's he's en route to Minas Tirith. But of course, along the way, he is going to perform this role. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, and, oh, absolutely, uh, Salma Truta, I completely agree with you. It's not that Aragorn's role is is just spiritual here. Um, it, absolutely. Very practical. It's one of the things I'm trying to emphasize right here. Um, extremely, extremely practical, right? Um, in his scouting and, um, uh, you know, woodcraftiness uh, and all of these things. But also in his vigilance, right? That he is the one who takes on himself, that setting himself apart, right? Silent and restless. Restless, I think, is not a choice on his part, right? That, I think, is um, he feels that there's something wrong, right? And that's why he can't enter into the spirit of merriment. Um, But he's aware of that because he is holding himself vigilant. Um, Yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah. Um, (laughs) Exactly, as Valori says, my Numenor senses are tingling. Something like that. Something like that. Um, Well, we will return to this image of him standing on the brink of the dell and looking down at the others laughing and talking. Um, Because, of course, in the next passage, we will talk about the interaction that he has with them. Um, And we will see him coming into direct contact with the merriment that is uh, afoot down there uh, in the dell. Um, But in the meantime, we should end there. We've come to the end of this passage, and I should not recklessly begin a new one uh, because it is getting late. So for those of you who joined us late, um, I just want to remind you I'm not going to be around next week. Uh, Next week I'll be in New York at the premiere uh, of The Rings of Power uh, down there. seeing the first two episodes so that'll be fun um i'll tell you guys about that except i you know won't be able to tell you guys about that um but um i'll tell you everything that i can tell you about it uh when i get back but um uh but anyway um we shall return for another discussion two weeks from tonight because i believe I will be here then. All right. Uh, Thanks, everybody. And it's time for our field trip. So those of you who are uh, sticking around for our field trip, uh, you can come and join us here. Um, And uh, good night to everybody who uh, could only make it for the book discussion here tonight. How are you this evening, Valori? I'm doing great. Happy birthday, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Many happy returns of the day. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Yeah, it's um, uh, it's been it's been fun. Well, just like getting home was like my uh, my birthday present today. <laughs> yeah, I can relate. I had about a twenty one of those like uh, multi stage uh, about twenty four hours of travel, uh, getting home uh, and uh, arrived home today at about uh, I don't know ten a.m. or something. So. 
Yeah, that was that was me last week when we were coming back from the beach, and I love the beach. It is my favorite place in the world. But after like seven days of ninety degree heat, you're just sitting there thinking how nice air conditioning is. Oh man, you know, I I I I often say I was saying to my family as we were driving home from the airport in Boston this morning uh, that uh, you know I, I never know what makes me happier. Um, the day that we leave, you know, to go out on, to go traveling, to go on some fun adventure, uh, together or the day that we come home. Like I'm always equally happy on both days. Like it's, uh, (laughs) it's, it's, so it's different, right? It's different, but it's, uh, uh, but it's, it's really, it's really cool. Um, I am a creature of habit when it comes right down to it. And, uh, yes, I believe coming home can be just as delightful. Absolutely. Little groove on the couch. (laughs) <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, we're going to head back to the Yondershire. Um, I think we. I think No Bottle is where we pick up. No Bottle is like uh, yeah, the center of so. all, of all things there. Um, but uh, yes. So let us head over to No Bottle and let's continue our exploration of the countryside here. Um, some people were asking me last time. Um, hey, like we're in Aragian in the story. Like, why why aren't we exploring the area that you know is being discussed here? And the answer is, we will. We saved some of it. Um, we explored. We started off in in Aragian at the same time, exploring Aragian at the same time we started this chapter. But that was a long time ago, and the landscape in Lotro is not infinite. Um, so if we go back to the map here for a moment. Um, where's there's Eregian. We did explore most of Eregian before. We deliberately saved this sort of patch over here on the uh, the eastern side of it. Um, the the Redhorn Pass, of course, the Karathras part, and the hill uh, where they are not too long from now going to be encountering the wolves. Um, all of those incidents. Um, have a representation here in the game, and we will definitely look at the game's adaptation and and sort of depiction of those places when we get to those places. So we we saved those areas in the game um, in anticipation of uh, of those passages, but but we're still waiting. Um, of course, the landscape. So oh, where are we headed? We're headed. Uh, we're going to go to the old links because um, I think that's the. Um, um, I think that that's the stable master we've missed so far as well. So um, let's head out towards the old links and then we can wait, where am I going? That's just not the way. This is the way. Okay, here we go. This is the um, way. Before I start talking again, I'm going to make sure I'm going in the generally right direction. Yes. Okay, great. All right. Um, so, um, yeah, so I, of course, Lotro is a, an enormous game area um, and a beautifully detailed game area. But I forget, does anybody remember offhand what the actual scale is in Lotro? I, I, I forget the ratio. I knew it once, but I've forgotten it. Um, the, uh, the, the sort of game space, the, the, the approximate ratio of space. Um, but in any case, it's uh, large as this is, it, it's not actually 
the same size as Middle Earth, right? So um, there are some places in the game that they have carefully created, such as the Dell Under Weathertop you can find and, um, and places like that. I don't think that this particular Dell with the holly bushes, for instance, that they found, I don't think that that's in the game. Um, at least I don't remember seeing it. Um, if anyone has found a place that they think is um, that Dell with the holly bushes around it, um, I would definitely go and see it, but um, uh, but we'll see. Um, yeah, Dresnik, I've heard that too. Um, uh, a player's walking speed, um, if actually projected to the size of the real landscape, would be about uh, um, uh, somewhere around the speed of sound. Which, yes, I could easily I could easily Hi. imagine that. Um, I can dig it. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so, okay, and here's our friend, the stable master that I was looking for. Ah, yeah. I still can't help but find this an extraordinarily random stable master. Let us first try to figure out what is this guy's excuse for being a stable master? The only thing that we can see... Well, express on the way to what? I mean, if we carry on this road, where do we end up? Oatbarton? Yeah. I guess. Um, I don't. I can't see where that road goes. To even hey, I know. Let's find that out. But in any case, yeah. even without doing that, um, the only thing that we can see in this area, we've got this large bald hill. We've got this ruin up in the mountains behind us, but that's still no excuse for building a stable master down here. And we've got this uh, fence. This old yeah. uh, fence. Very old. Uh, very old yeah, stone fence. Definitely just built out of rocks they dug up in the way. Yeah, it absolutely looks like, uh, though it's fairly tall, um... It uh, absolutely looks like, a, yeah, as you say, a, uh, we dug up all these rocks while we were tilling and need a place to put them kind of uh, boundary wall. Um, yeah, it's partly between, I mean, there's really, there's no yeah. other Yondershire settlements anywhere around here. Um, Not so like a I, singular house somewhere? I don't think so. So, I mean, I guess you've got to think that this is just a kind of a waypost. Uh, like, because, you know, I, I guess you could say because it's the middle of nowhere, you want a place to, you know, rest and change horses here, you know, a camp to. But, but it's, um, yeah, it's a little hard to explain. And yeah, I can't, um, um, trifle, I can't exactly take the sort of metagaming explanation. That's uh, that's not my kind of explanation. Namely, that you need a way to get back and turn in your quests when you finish up out here. Which is true enough, but uh, but that, uh, that is not the kind of answer that's going to satisfy me. Notice the gaps in the wall. Uh, again, suggesting the age of this. Now, this kind of wall, we've seen this kind of wall in a couple places, though not everywhere. Um... Can somebody 
like, like what, which town in the Yondershire has stone walls like this, these kind of piled up stone boundary walls? Um, can anyone, uh, can anyone pinpoint that? I know there, you know, we see the different kinds of construction and the different uh, kinds of materials that are used, the red brick and no bottle and the, all the wood and gamage and, um, uh, the stone up in, uh, Longcleave, uh, the stonework up in Longcleave, um, the plaster buildings out in, um, uh, what's it called? Tyfield. Um, think of Yondershire, but it does look like the stone wall you see along the Greenway. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we see some Arnorian ruins down there, but also some older um, some older stone. What do you think this was the boundary of? Because, I mean, I don't know. I mean, the Shire's been around for over a millennium, so um, that's a long time for any stone wall. Um, I mean, even the stone walls... Like yeah. It's very tall for a hobbit stone wall as well. It is yeah, very tall for a hobbit stone wall. Yeah. It's either that or, you know, it's like either they had a lot of rocks to put away or, you know, this was a human wall. It's even tall for a human wall, though. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder. I mean, so looking at. Dark and it's. Times and it's so st- straight. So straight. Where does it Don't go? Think they had yeah. Romans around here. No, but they did have, you know, people descended from the Numenorians, and that's kind of the same thing. Um, right. It's, yeah, this actually looks a lot like stuff you see in, in, like, Brock and Borings and Scary and stuff like that, where you got these big stone walls and they'd have the arches right under. You could just mark off little bits of the Shire. So I think it's, it's very similar to that. Are those not Shire gates, then? Are those Arnorians? Yeah, I gotta think. So remember that this was, um, um, yeah, no, Tomas is pointing out that if these walls were built for cattle, it's the size of the cows that matter rather than the size of the builders. These be arcs, though. Well, yeah, it would be very, I mean, like, you don't need to build a wall higher than the head of a cow, usually. Yeah. Are they raising olives? Yeah, you wouldn't you think so. You know where I, I raise mean. cows. Yeah. In the buffalo. Oh, and here's a cliff. Oh, the other one is to keep wolves out, is, which we've, we've had proven evidence that that's a problem. Wolves, yeah. Possibly. Possibly. I mean, this wall stretching... Okay, so I think it's not just a boundary marker. I mean, look how it stretched all the way to the cliff, right? So it did yeah, seem to be designed to keep something out. And look how, look from here, you've got a great view of the road below, and it would be very defensible. Yes. If right. If the wall was intact, all you'd have to do was knock off the bottleneck, and they'd have some trouble getting over this without people. True. True. But here's my problem here. And that is, uh, is this wall designed to keep people out or to keep people in? Um, that is to say, which side uh, of the wall were we on? I think it's a corral, because the point is, if you have a wall, that means 
people can't just come in willy-nilly. They have to come in through a certain point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or at the road over there. Yeah. So it's more of a, it's more of a discouragement. It's a keep off our, you know, keep off the grass for the next hundred miles. Right. It's possible that um, it's possible that this was built by hobbits when the Yondershire was settled because they did want to use this, you know, these, this big open field and this hit big hill, right, as like pasturage. Because on this side, well, we've got forest on both sides, really, but... Well, yeah, but it's been a while, hasn't it? Yeah, it's really interesting, right? It, re- it really depends on what historical period this wall was built in, right? Because on the one hand, if it's built in the Yondershire, in the Yondershire period, then it is, um, then it's the, well, with the direction I'm facing, the right-hand side of the wall, like the north side of the wall, <coughs> which is civilization, right? And the side that we're riding on right now is the side on the other side of civilization, right? This is like even dim is where the wild country is now, right? The wild and unsettled country. Um, and we know whereas, for farming if they got all these rocks out of the ground. Right, right. Yeah, whereas if you were, um, if you were, man, it just keeps going, this wall. It went all along the road. So this is the same one as all, all along the road here. Like, yeah, that's my point. You're creating a bottleneck. You're creating a point, yeah. one or two points of entry that people have to come through. Yeah. Which, I don't know, by me, that sounds pretty Arnorian. Or, you know, maybe yeah, it is maybe. a Hobbit thing where they have to come and get their, you know, their route of travel stamped and uh, signed and then stamped three more times. So which do you think came first? The road or the wall? Well, let's take a look at this road over here because this is this is a Hobbit road, isn't it? Yeah, this is the road down to yeah. There's the gate, and here's Bingo. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, this is the well. The, well, that means that this is the dwarf road right here. Yeah. That we're on. Mm-hmm. So whoever built this fence built this arch because the this road the dwarf road clearly mm-hmm. came before it but i'm thinking of the the east west road here which runs runs right along the side of it well and these could have okay, been okay it is continuous all the way back into no bottle so yeah. we do see the same but look how much lower the fence is here well there's you can see there's been some flooding and a, probably a river going through it that wasn't there before. Yeah, probably so. Yeah, but we so we do see these stone walls here in No Bottle, having returned back to where we came from. Um, much shorter, though. But much, much shorter, exactly. These are just little, like, visual boundary walls. Even hobbits can get over these very easily. Um, yeah, that's you know, could more just, of a, this is my side, that's your side. Exactly, kind of exactly. Whereas... Once we get out of town, and this arch seems to be more or less the yeah. See, look at that up up on the hill. These this is the big wall, here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, construction similar though, but um... yeah. So the big wall turns. I like how the big wall has like these little like uh, like towers, <laughs> little oh, stone wall yeah. towers, right? 
Yep. Oh, all I the way here to the other cliff. Yeah. Right, okay, yeah, and there's oh. Rushik Bog and, and the Shire over there. Man, it oh, extends yeah, all the way from here. Bridge. Yeah, exactly. So this is the other end of the of the the wall, basically, which started at that other cliff, right? Um, yeah, Drasnik, I agree. It now is really beginning to look like a border wall of the Yondershire. Um, to keep the big pole go? Well, no, because here it's making a boundary between the Yondershire and the Shire, essentially. It's, it, it sounds more like it's marking jurisdictions between the boundaries. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Uh, something like that seems to me um, very likely. They're political borders more than they are. Uh, right. And that the higher wall would be built here is not, I think, in order to make a defensive fortification to hold out the hordes of attacking Shire hobbits. Um, but again, could be used for like pasturage reasons or wolves or whatever. I mean, there's a number of uh, things, probably primarily animals, that you would want to prevent wandering down. Um, it does keep the Shire folk out of the overcrowded Yonder Shire pubs, Dolores Stroke. Uh, that is very true. Um, we can't underestimate that. But yeah, it does really seem like a boundary wall. Maybe the no. original borders of the Shire before they expanded. Right. Yeah, right. I, 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 I do feel like just the size of it does feel like, whoops, we're getting some wolves coming in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right, did the Shire right. people build this up to keep wolves out of the Shire and stuff? Or, or yeah, especially since it's fallen down in a lot of places, it's definitely not been kept up. No. No, yeah, it's got lots of gaps. It's not really doing any job now. Yeah. Like I said, yeah. if it's a political border instead of a strategic border, there'd be yeah. no need to patch up any holes. And as a matter of fact, as we saw, the stones in the Hobbit walls looked almost exactly the same, so I wouldn't be surprised if they raided some of the, you know, parts oh. already falling down. Right. Hey, I want to mark out my, my lawn, so let me go uh, borrow some of these... Uh, already yeah. piled up stones, which are obviously not really doing anything anymore. Yeah. yeah. Gotta keep Carrot Seed Gardener out of my pen, out of my Right, garden. right. Right, exactly. Whereas this here now... It's, it's crumbled. Now look, the wall's on the map. I didn't notice that before. Oh. You can actually see the line of the wall crossing the field here. Just just uh, southeast of the S in Old Links. Yep. Interesting. I wonder if they extended it out here. Because, of course, like, if it had been made by the Shire Hobbits originally to mark out the boundary of the Shire, and then the Yonder Shire folks just occupied the other side of it, right? Um, but the Shire Hobbits presumably wouldn't have built it all the way down here, would they? I wouldn't think so. No, I don't think so. And once again, like someone's pointing out, these are beautifully built straight roads. Yes. The walls over here that, that just, you know, 
they had the curves like a well-fitting bra. Yeah, no, I mean it's 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 very straight. It's very uh, um, it's a very well-contrived wall. Um, let's um, since we're here again, um, let's just see where the road goes. We'll have to end after that, but. So we continue. So we're now on the other side of that wall. Uh-huh. Beautiful willow trees. Yeah. Excellent willow trees by the river. Which river is this? Is this the is the Brandywine? We're about to cross. Up further north. What is this? Uh can't see from here. I think it leads to the branding line at the very least, but it might be the branding line. Okay. Branding line is to our east. Yeah, that's what I was Okay, yeah. we're still, this, we're this, still. This, I think this leads into, this looks like a offshoot of Lake Evenden or something. Yep, we're going to uh, Oak Barton. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we're headed towards Oak Barton. I just wanted to see the connection. Oh, that is, that is so pretty. Water with the trees. Yes. All right. So we're headed up. All right. About to cross over into the even dim region. What I'm particularly interested in seeing is how this interacts with the road to and from the Shire. Okay, so here's Bullroar's sword. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Right. The links would be near Greenfield. Uh-huh. Oh, I see. Yes, I see. It's like we're right at the top of Brock and Moorings here. Yes. Right. Okay, yeah, I think I have my bearings. So if we head down this way, we go straight down to the Brocken Borings, right? Yep. Because right. we're right near the boundary there. Absolutely. And here's Greenfield. Right. Yep, got it. Okay, so there's the Greenfields. Okay, so if we go, well, I wish there were like an intermediate map level here. I know, <laughs> yeah. I know, it's hard because they had the you know the map zoned out before they added these new areas, you know. Um, yeah. So it makes it hard for them to kind of smooth out the maps to some extent. The landscape is smoothed out very nicely, but the uh, oh, yeah. you know all joins very nicely, but the. Um, the map zones are more awkward. What I want is one just one step zoomed out past this, but further in than the regional, so I can see the whole Yondershire, yeah. Shire, Oak Barton uh, conjunction there. Um, I keep using my scroll wheel, and then it doesn't work. Right. Yeah, exactly. That's a, just what I find myself wanting to do. Okay. So... But that the thing that I wanted to see was where that road came in, and it's this one right here, where that road came in in connection to the road to the Shire. So both of these, so these two roads form the first intersection, the road out 
to um, the old links where we came from and the road down to the green fields. They both meet and come together just on the very southern fringes here of Oatbarton. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Excellent. And then up to Dwalling. Right. Mm-hmm. Got it. Okay. Remembering my geometry here. Oh, yeah. Hang on. Rem- remind me. Drawsnake is saying you can almost see it on the Stable Master map. Um, how do I get to the Stable Master map? Where is that again? Go to the map and press the Stable Master map in the middle. Button toward the top. But Oh, right. Yeah. Aha. Uh-huh. You can also right. get it in the collections window. Got it. Got it. Okay. Right. So there's the Shire. There's the Yonder Shire. There's Erd Lewin. Right there's Kellandim. Duoland. Okay. Yeah. Why do you have that so small? I don't know why it's so small. Probably I your can't... UI because you're on a 4K monitor. That's very likely. Something of that sort. I could very much wish that this map were a little larger, but whatever. Um, in the works. Okay, so... Right, there's Brock and Morgs. Okay, so this is the Shire down here. There's even Dim up there. Got it. All right. Well, that's interesting. Here's my final observation about this. Now, the thing that we need to remember is the historical context of the Shire, which is the this sort of southern, you know, hunting range. What was mostly unsettled land just south of Anuminus and the land of the kings up here. Mm-hmm. Yondershire is not quite between them, right, but really off to the side. So the Shire is the area that's immediately south. Oatbarton, where we're current where we currently are, is right here at the very southern boundary. Right. This is actually, Oatbarton is sort of an example, it would seem, of the Shire almost encroaching back into the land of Anuminus. Right. Um, yeah, exactly. Probably, yeah, much like after Anuminus fell, obviously. So, um, you know, the, the hobbits are thriving and expanding a bit, um, while obviously the, you know, Arnor is gone. But the Yonder Shire is definitely moving off and it's not it's it's it it has almost a sense of being in between these two but it isn't really in between it's really off in the northwest there what it is is occupying the land the otherwise empty land in between the shire and arid lewin the elfin dwarf lands there yeah okay yeah uh drosnake thanks for the um, thanks for reminding me about the Stable Master map here. This is a nice map yeah, to interact yeah. with. Yeah, yeah. It is really good. Yeah. It's great. By the way, I like. I love looking at Forakel on here. Give, it gives me a much clearer sense of oh, yeah. where Forakel is located in comparison. I can yeah. have a ship got there. 
Exactly. Yeah, you can really see that. Huh. Very interesting. Okay. All right. It's also fun to see the path of our explorations here. Yeah. Boy, I've got a lot of empty ones up uh, up in the north. Yes. Yes. You can speculate on future content. Yes. Well, certainly one can do that as well, um, especially if you know one scrolls south to all of this <laughs> empty land down here. Just saying. A little too empty. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I can dream. Yeah. I might find out next week. We'll see. We'll see. The yep. dev team is doing a special thing in Germany, of all places. Oh, really? Cool. Okay. All right. Well, I'm going to I'm gonna leave it there for the evening because it's getting late. Um, but uh, thanks, everybody, for joining us tonight. This was a fun uh, boundary expo. I didn't really think we were going to spend all of our time looking and talking about a stonewall fence this evening but there we are um and we've gotten our bearings a little bit and next time we totally will get to get to ruins so thanks everybody for joining me um i as i say it won't be back next week but i will be back the week after uh for further explorations so thanks everybody thanks for joining me this evening delory good to good to hang out with you guys again hope you had a nice birthday thank you yes i did yes i did thank you uh and we will see you guys in a couple weeks if not don't forget tomorrow afternoon uh we're talking to john howe and other minds and hands and um uh much more stuff going back we're gonna i don't know if we're gonna finish alice in wonderland this week uh tomorrow night but we're gonna get there we're gonna talk about episode three of season uh five six season six that's where we are in film film uh on thursday night and and then griffith is going to come back i haven't done a griffith stream in like a month so uh more than a month i think so that'll be uh that'll be fun too all right thank you everybody have a good evening and we'll talk to you guys soon bye now bye